Hello and welcome to Two Beers Till Takeoff. My name is Phil and today I'm here with my guest, Mark. Mark is a Canadian guy who spent years traveling across Europe, Asia, and Africa, and now he lives in the U.S. in California. Crazy! His most recent trip was three months in Costa Rica, where he enjoyed watching beach sunsets every night with the entire town, dancing the night away at hidden jungle parties. Today, he's come on to talk about his experiences of climbing Mount Everest, or excuse me, climbing to the base camp of Mount Everest and Mount Kilimanjaro. What's going on, Mark? What's up, Phil? Not much, it's been man. so long. I know, man. I, I've I've been trying to get you for a while. Had to talk to your agent and everything. <laughs> How's living in the states? It is wonderful. It's uh, very different. It's very surprising. Like moving from Canada, Ontario specifically, to like California. Yeah, I, I was, and I I, used to, I grew up across the border. I grew up like right beside Buffalo, Niagara Falls, basically. Yeah, I always thought like America was like basically Canada. That's always been my impression. Has that been your impression? Um, it's it, it's it's all it, it it's like a, a few deviations away. I find, uh, just little things. You know, people don't hold the door as long. Not as polite. Nobody talks about hockey. You know, just the basics. But no, it's 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 very similar. Like people are, yeah. I feel like if you meet an American or a Canadian abroad, like it, it almost feels like home. Like someone who's familiar to you. I think the gun thing is maybe a little different with us in in the U.S. Um, but I, yeah, largely it's is similar. Um, did so? I, I guess did you ever envision yourself living in the states, or is this just kind of something that you're like, like holy shit, like I'm in the states now? Yeah, I've always wanted to uh, for a, for a long time. I wanted to be in California. Yeah, warm weather. Canadian winters are are, are tough. Yeah, so Fuck. definitely wanted to be here in California. I have like sun, yeah, warm weather, interesting people, a lot going on. Major airport. You were just done with shoveling snow. That's what it is, huh? <laughs> <laughs> oh, dude, that's uh, that's definitely a perk. It's it's literally like four to six months of the year. I'm like, why the hell do I live here? You know what I mean? You're walking outside. You got that wind chill factor that's just burning your skin, and you're just like, oh, I can't wait till I get inside. Why, mm. why do we? I I don't. I, I listen. I, I might move to California too. We'll see. See how bad the wind yeah, is. Come visit. Yeah, of course. Yeah, the, the great thing as a Canadian is, uh, yeah, pretty strong passport. You just do like the whole snowbird thing. Go to Florida. Go to Costa Rica. Go wherever you want. You, you did that recently, I think, right? You're in, uh, we were, you we in, were in uh, Peru. South America. Yeah, we were. In yeah, Peru, which is I, for, I, for how long? We were there for um, twenty days. Yeah. So just wow. had a bunch of vacation left over from COVID, right? What are you going to do during COVID? Oh, I'm going to take a vacation and stay home. Like, nah, man, I'd rather work through. Like, had no interest in doing that. But, uh, but Mark, listen, I want to, I want to get into how I, I kind of want to set the stage for, for folks, get to know you a little bit better. So how did, how did you get into traveling? Oh, how did I get into traveling? Oof. What was your first trip? Solo one, maybe. Yeah. Or with First solo trip. I was working at Barry. Yeah, I was on a co-op term. It's like a Canadian internship. Yeah. We didn't bury sort of like a smaller town in Ontario. Yeah. At the time, this is like 2012. Yeah, I was working like two jobs, like 80 hours a week. Yeah. Mostly in my own, it was like for fun, sort of like a, a, these like goals and 
I didn't realize that one could overwork themselves. So I'm like overworking myself. Yeah, I was in a new city. I didn't really know anyone. Yeah, I just got like super depressed. Yeah, it's like winter and berry berries, like the north of Ontario. So it's like harsh winters. Don't anyone working 80 hour weeks. I'm like, yeah, 20 years old, something like that. Yeah. And at one point I was like, oh, like I had just broken up with a girlfriend at the time. I was like, oh, like I gotta, I gotta get out of here. And I'm talking to my boss. I'm like, oh, like, yeah, my boss was really cool, really like hip, hip dude. Yeah. He's like, dude, like get out of here. Like go, go on, just go fly somewhere. Yeah. I think I flew to Vegas. And then I did the same <laughs> thing a month or two later. I went to uh, Cuba. Yeah. Those were my first solo trips. And I was like, whoa, like it's so easy to get on a plane and go somewhere. Yeah. I'd say that those like planted the seeds. And then um, a year or two later, I ended up doing an exchange in France. And that, nice. again, like it was, that was a little different. That opened my eyes to like, oh, there's all these different cultures and cool people all over the world. Yeah, that planted the seed, and then uh, basically it became really clear like how easy it was to travel. It was like zero friction to jump on a plane, especially when you're in Ontario, right? Because like just coming from the east, there's so many less flights. It's way more expensive. You know, you're not that far. You're a flight away from Toronto, right? So then you're very central, and you can get cheap ass flights. It's uh, where where did you go in France? In the north of France, a city called Lille. Okay, nice. Yeah, yeah I know. It's I know. Like Lille. a student town. Yeah, yeah. Probably, uh, other people listening, it's like um, yeah, north of France. It's you can take a it's basically one bus basically to yeah, Brussels or to yeah, yeah to several neighboring provinces. Like you take a train to Paris on the west, or like Brussels, Belgium, where the uh, I think the EU headquarters is, or something like that. Okay. Or to uh, yeah. We drove one time in a day to yeah, Munich for Oktoberfest, yes. or you can take a, it's pretty gnarly, yeah. a bus. Yeah. yeah, you take a bus to London. You like go up to the north and then hop on a ferry with your bus and then go up there. Yeah, yeah, great, great location to be sort of like central. Yeah, 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 close to all those countries and and I mean I know Lille because one of Canada's the soccer team one of their one of our best players actually plays at Lille he's a striker for uh, for uh, Lille he's uh, Jonathan David so he's it's a world cup right so we got we got to stay current yeah <laughs> yeah but i guess we should maybe tell the folks how we kind of met it was uh, i think it was a pretty interesting story so so mark and i met in a hostel in morocco and the hostel was organizing a, a tour to go sleep a night in the sahara desert you know ride dromedaries so mark so I, I was with Leo and Nico, two two of my buddies who um, are from Finland. Uh, Leo's actually been on the podcast too. Mark Mark knows Leo, uh, and, and yeah, so we ended up on the same tour group, going to the desert, and um, yeah, I guess a few surprises on that trip. You know, uh, we didn't really expect to see snow. I, I, maybe you did, but I I definitely did not. Did not pack for snow or cold conditions. <laughs> And yeah, we got caught in a snowstorm in the middle of the Atlas Mountains in a van with no winter tires. We're going down, up and down this huge mountain range and there's no guardrails. How are you feeling on that trip? Were you, were you stressed a little bit? Oh man, that, that was super fun. 
it was uh yeah for sort of context you know that was the first african country i went to and as part of my like super long africa trip yeah i flew i think in that case from um from norway to yeah or maybe prague to morocco Mm. and and then that's where we met and that specifically like that night trip to the sahara was like super cool it was, I think we went to like three or four different climates, like you're describing. It's yeah. insane. I was blown away. I had no expectations. Were you freaking out when we were on that when we were in the snowstorm? No winter tires, as a Canadian. I actually don't remember that part. To be honest, you don't I remember, remember the snow. <laughs> Fuck, man! I I was like holding on for dear life. I was like, didn't even have my seatbelt because I was like, I might have to jump out of the car here. <laughs> <laughs> But so I guess that's that's how Mark and I met, and uh, I I mean you you can't make this story up. But like when I got back from Peru, uh, I landed in was it Montreal? I was in. We're in Montreal. Was Montreal? Yeah, Montreal to Toronto. Yeah. Yeah. So was in Montreal, and my girlfriend and I had twelve hours in the airport, so we're just chilling and walking around. And guess who I bump into? Mark from fucking Morocco. <laughs> who would have thought yeah and these are like oh they're like six years apart maybe even a little longer yeah it was 2016 maybe yeah 2016 it's, it's it's just listen you were it was fate for you to come on the podcast but uh thanks for having me yeah oh, man listen I, i'm pumped i'm pumped that you're on i'm excited to hear these stories but yeah so so i guess we'll continue the story so mark and i both went on our ways after that trip so you continued across africa and i went back to or actually i went surfing and then i went back to germany we'll continue on this in this story portion uh just so we can cover the, the kilimanjaro portion but i guess before we do get into q a i want to talk about uh costa rica because you said that you spent three months there recently uh how was that that was great yeah yeah that was at the uh another breakup (laughs) so so there's a vicious cycle here mark's just breaking up with girls (laughs) and every time you break if you see him on a trip on his instagram it means that he's broken (laughs) up with a girl (laughs) that's uh probably not wrong yeah (laughs) um yeah breakup my breakup was fine but it's like four year long breakup opportunity for me to to sort of reset yeah so i was talking to to a friend and he was like oh let's go away for christmas like, yeah sure so i uh, booked this month-long trip to costa rica got there just sort of like yeah you know fresh off this breakup trying to do a little bit of escapism and got COVID at the end of that oh that's and then very uh, on top right yeah yeah so i couldn't catch my flight back to toronto and i was like well this is terrible. Oh no, I have to stay in Costa Rica. <laughs> cool. So I had my work laptop with me. So I ended up working from Costa Rica for another two months. Oh, hell yeah. Dude. Phenomenal trip. Hell yeah. That's a, that's, that's awesome. What were some of your favorite spots when you went there? I spent most of the time in Santa Teresa. Okay. And it's Not on the really. West Coast there. Yeah, so there's sort of two major international airports in Costa Rica. There's um, San Jose in the center. It's the capital, and then there's Liberia in the northwest. I'm looking at the map behind you there. Yeah. So you can, um, <laughs> yeah, right over there. <laughs> it's 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 actually yeah. useful. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, yeah. I have to hear the story of all those pins. Yeah, yeah. So 
uh, a couple hours south of Liberia Airport, which is the second major airport, is uh, this place called Santa Teresa. It's uh, mostly foreigners going there to to sort of live an expat life. Okay. Yeah. Not a very big like. They're like party towns, like um, Tamarindo in the northwest. It's a party town. You like fly into Liberia, you go to Tamarindo, you party, and you fly out. That's like a common thing. It's a coaster. Santa Teresa, like re- yeah, something like that. Yeah. Minus the casinos. Santa Teresa is like really hard to get to. Yeah. So the people who go there and stay there are like people who want to be there for a long time. So you get this great community. That was very special about Santa Teresa. Beautiful sunsets, Pacific Coast sunsets, great surfing. Yeah. And uh, yeah, great community. But it was a really great place. You went to Costa Rica, right? No, I've never been. Oh. I uh I've I've never been. My parents have been. They've they said that they really liked it. It was it was a great trip, but no, I've never been. The only experience I have, I guess, in the jungle is uh, Peru. Right on, man. Well, let, listen, let's uh, let's get to, to know you a bit further in Q and A. Q and A. All right. So, first Thanks. question: Hot or cold? Hot. I mean, obvious reasons, right? Canadian. Uh, <laughs> beach or mountains? Do, do people ever answer cold? Uh yeah, I, I think we've had a couple, yeah. Okay. That's 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 nice. Yeah. People like warm, warm climates maybe. Yeah. Uh second question is about beach or mountains. Which I might I know might be a tough question for you considering you've done a lot of beach and mountains. Yeah. Oh. Depends on the context. I think today here in San Francisco it's a little dark and gloomy, so I'd say uh play beach. Hell yeah. Bus or train? Ooh, train. Yeah. Cats or dogs? Babies. What? Babies. Neither, neither <laughs> cats or dogs. <laughs> Not a pet guy. Top or bottom bunk? <laughs> uh, bottom. Hell yeah. Sunrise or sunset? Sunrise and sunset. Oh, both. But if I'm picking one, sun. Oh, Mark, you can only pick one, man. These questions are made hard so that you know it conflicts people. Get get that good stuff out of them. Yeah, that's hard. It's all context dependent. Yeah, hey. I'm a big fan of sunrises. They're they're rare. It's rare to see a sunrise. They come every day, but it's still rare. Good answer. If you had a superpower, what would it be? Ooh, can I pick more than one? No, unfortunately, only one. <laughs> only one. Oof. I think I'd maintain my youth forever. Mark the fountain of youth. If you could have a beer with one person from history, dead or alive, who would it be? Hmm. Um... It's a little topical, but we were just talking, chatting about OpenAI and ChatGPT. So maybe the, the currency of OpenAI, Sam Altman. Okay. Who, who is he? Um, he's, uh, uh, he used to be the head of uh, Y Combinator, which is this little well-known incubator in, in the valley here. Yeah. Okay. And then he left that. Now he's the... Yeah, he was one of the founders of OpenAI, which is this uh, company that does really cool AGI-type research. 
you know, so if you've heard of like GPT-3, which is that, you know, in all its derivatives, yeah, you know, he's like a really smart tech guy. So he, he, I guess in that conversation, you can kind of get a better sense of where AI is headed. Yeah, I'd probably pick his brain on that. On that. What's something you never travel without? Passport. <laughs> Good answer. <laughs> <laughs> what is your favorite world attraction? World attraction? Yeah. So uh, it could be a landmark, could be, uh, could be a building, could be scenery, could be anything. The Eiffel Tower is really special, I think. The Eiffel Tower, nice. Yeah. Yeah. Paris is built in such a way, like, not built very tall, so you can see the Eiffel Tower from a lot of places, as you probably remember. Probably yeah. There. yeah, there's just that other one building that's super tall. I forget, it's like a financial building, and then there's the Eiffel Tower, and people just hate that, like, other building. I, I forget the name, but it's just, <laughs> it just doesn't fit the city at all, right? It's It's so awkward. Yeah. Which country has the best cuisine? India. Let's go. Favorite Indian meal? They're all good. They're all. Uh, I'm vegetarian, so like all the the best vegetarian food is Indian vegetarian food, where you could like order anything and it'll be good from almost anywhere, and it'll be good. Yeah, the spices and big tikka masala guy. Hmm. Nice. What's your biggest travel pet peeve? When you go somewhere, anytime there's sort of like money in a certain place, there's all these people like trying to make money from the money. So like. You know, the concrete example is like landing in a new sort of touristy city, and then um, with like this industry of you know, extracting money from tourists, basically. Yeah, you know, it's very sad to me to go to places and to have people. And obviously, you know, foreigner, lots of money in the country I come from. Um, want to like support the economies that I go to. Yeah. You know, but it never felt nice to be looked at as sort of like a walking bank account. Yeah, like the scams and getting overpriced for stuff sucks. Yeah, yeah. I, I don't mind, you know, again, pouring my into the local economy, you know, but it's not a nice feeling when people come up to you and they're just like, yeah. You know, there, there's a limit. There's a yeah. limit to, to being ex- uh, taken advantage of, right? Yeah, there's like value exchange and then there's like being taken advantage of. Yeah, value exchange, good. Taking advantage of that. Exactly. What is your best travel hack? Cool. Quit your job. Quit your job. If you get dumped, get or, or break up with a girl, just get the <laughs> get, get the road. <laughs> yeah. I think it's especially if you're young. Um a lot cheaper to travel if you do it in large blocks of time. Like for me, I went to Asia and Africa over six to nine months. Yeah. And the most expensive thing. It, two travel hacks. One, do it for a long time, such that you can fly in once and travel by bus, for example. That's really cheap. And two, have um, be okay living and traveling cheaply, such that you're like living in hostels if you're young, or um, eating out of grocery stores, and while at the same time spending money where it makes sense to get an experience, like you know, going to a, eating some local local food, for example. That's that's worth the money. Flights are, yeah. yeah. As a young person, you really just got to get to the place. Yeah. And and like you said, I think that's a, a really good point of like pooling your money or, or use, you being 
cautious with your money and then using the money money where it kind of benefits you the most right in those tours or like those experiences that you're really looking to do instead of having you know like a swanky hotel room get a hostel so that you can therefore afford more experiences yeah exactly it's like optimize for experiences not for like a fancy bed right because you probably won't remember where you slept you'll remember what you did exactly i met people you meet so on Unless it enables more experiences. That's that's the that's the thing to optimize for experiences, I think. What's the most underrated country? I think people don't talk about China enough. Oh really sweet. Let's talk about visit. China. Yeah, China is really cool. Uh, at least when I went. I went in twenty fifteen as a tourist, sort of the major cities mostly. So where did you go? Shanghai, yeah. Beijing? Yeah, I landed in um, Shanghai and then did kind of like a circle. Yeah, south to a couple of cities and then to Hong Kong, Macau, yeah, yeah, Shenzhen, which is like a manufacturing hub, then northwest to Xi'an, Chengdu, and then east to Beijing. So it's really like a little circle. Nice. And uh, yeah, the food was good. Yeah. What's, that was an interesting place in that the people saw me as like you know dark skinned so that stood out, which was surprising to me in some of the less major cities. Yeah. The, uh, what's the party scene like in in China? Uh, I didn't party to be honest, but uh, I met some uh, people. I just mean like, there. is there like a good bar scene? Like, is there like you know places to go out at night? Yeah, I, I think there is. I, I didn't spend much time there, but I do remember that uh, a common thing was like these little tables you can go to outside of restaurants. And you go and they'd bring you like, you know, I don't know, like some fried chicken and beer. And, and you oh, could yeah. just order as many beers as you want and sit on the street there. And that was uh, a little interesting and different. That, that sounds like a good time. I, I could I could fuck with some fried chicken and some beers. I think it has its own name, fried chicken and beer. And I think Korea, I think Korea has a oh, yeah. name for fried chicken and beer. I can't remember the name. Where's Jaehoon when you need him? Yeah. <laughs> Where were you the most scared on your travels? A couple times, definitely felt some fear. For example, um, yeah, I think it was in South Africa. A lot of people don't know, but one of the most dangerous animals in Africa is the hippopotamus. Yes, um, and they're yeah, they're like vegetarians, but they uh, you know even though they're short stubulated, they run super fast, and they can just like chop really hard. And there was one city I was in where um, at night the hippopotamuses would walk through the streets what? and you would, you would, yeah, you'd want to avoid them. Like you would not want to be near hippos. And that's an example of, uh, Jesus. So, so was this like a small village or? Yeah, it was just like, uh, yeah, I don't even, I don't even remember the city. I just remember that. Yeah. Yeah. We were warned like hippopotamus go through the streets here and, uh, it's like near water. Holy shit. So does that mean that you're, uh, you're, where you experienced the least friendly locals was the hippos in South Africa? <laughs> <laughs> They're the original, original locals there. <laughs> yeah, man, that's insane. Could you imagine you come back home from a night at the bar and you're just like staring down a fucking hippo? <laughs> like, dude, can I just get by you there? I'm just trying to get home. <laughs> Holy shit. Yeah, yeah that's wow. interesting. Yeah, in Canada, you know, we have like, People like generally have some self awareness or 
awareness on how to like avoid a bear bear attack either get really big or i don't know what you do for a hippo you know what i'm actually i actually have a guy who's coming on who um he's a uh, conservationist and has a uh, safari company out of uh, south africa so i'm actually going to ask him i'm going to ask him because i need to know what the hell do you do when you encounter a hippopotamus that's a that's a good question might be useful what is your favorite cocktail i don't know if i have a go-to one but uh, i went to a bar recently in austin texas yeah and every single drink they made was really cool yeah not just tasty and delicious but it also like really well presented one of them for example was like they all had their own glasses special types of glasses aromas one of them came with like sticks of incense another one came with like a cigar with a cigar yeah, it was like a lit up cigar. This is Austin, Texas. Oh well. yeah, 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 yeah. So I'm more about the experience. It's not just the taste. Like I want the presentation. I want all my senses to be captivated. Yeah, that's 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 cool, man. I've um, I've I watched a what was it? I think it was on Anthony Bourdain when he did uh, Tokyo, and he was talking about the um, cocktail culture in Tokyo and how it's like. It's almost like it's, it's almost like it's in a martial art. Like that, there's so much respect in in the 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 ways that they make the cocktails and stuff like that. And it, I just thought it was really cool. It, it kind of sounds like a little bit like that. Like you know what I mean? That it's an experience. That it's, yeah, just just sounds super cool. Yeah, yeah, where, absolutely. It's uh, yeah. Where did you find your cheapest pint? Hmm. Not Canada. Not Thailand had a lot of. Uh... Yeah, not Canada, not the States. Yeah. I remember Thailand having really cheap beer. It's called the, uh, I can't remember, the, 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 Chang. the famous, yeah, the Changs. Yeah. yeah. That's how you know you, you, you've you encountered a real traveler when they have a Chang beer shirt, right? <laughs> <laughs> Been to Thailand. Been to <laughs> Thailand, mate. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, there are definitely those, like, sort of, tropes of trowel where you have like for example that thailand shirt like sort of uh it's sort of tank top with like a colorful elephant or whatever in the middle if one of those or uh at the time when i was traveling 2015 yeah the other common one was the um those like fun baggy pants they're like sort of like loose fitting yeah yeah it was fun to like come back to canada us whatever and, like see people wearing them and you like you you both know, and you talk like, yeah, you look like a traveler. You're a backpacker. Like, yeah, you have that little little bond there. Yeah. Do you do you remember how much you paid for the for your beer? I'm I'm. This is this is one of the questions I guess I'm most uh, passionate about. <laughs> uh, on the order of a dollar or two. Wow. My cheapest my yeah. cheapest I've encountered was on an island in Colombia called San uh, San Andreas. 67 cents for a Colombian club, I think it's called. 67 cents. I, I literally had to take a picture. I was, I was losing my shit. 67 cents. That's wild. Yeah. Where in the world is your favorite bar and why? I don't know if I have a very specific bar. I'm not, not a big drinker. But um, generally, when I was traveling, I really appreciated all the hostel bars. Mm. The best hostels were the ones that built a sense of community. Yeah. In one way, a lot of them did that and made it 
profitable for themselves is uh, by having little you know, events and hostel bars. You go there, you know, six seven p.m. Go to the kitchen, go to the bar, meet some people. Yeah, and what better so way to break it, down the barriers, right, when you're looking to meet new people? Yeah, especially you know a lot of people you meet, and sort of the, as an English speaker, and, and a lot of people from other countries also happen to speak English. It seems to be a little bit of a yeah, an international language. Yeah, but some people are a little shy about their English proficiency. But after a beer or two, like no one cares. Yeah. Exactly. Especially when you're solo traveling, I think that that's definitely something that I look forward. I look for when I'm I'm by myself because you just know you're gonna make buddies and you're you're gonna find somebody that you're gonna hang out with. Absolutely, yeah. Someone to travel with, do a little climbing, that sort of thing. I, I got to talk about the uh, the hostel where we met at. They didn't have a bar on site, but I don't know if you remember that first night. I think it was our first night. We walked in, me, I think Leo was already there, but I walked into this place and I was like, holy shit, like people are drinking, there's fucking hash going around. I'm like, holy shit. Like I did not expect like a Moroccan hostel to be like this, Just but it was it was a great like first night. It was, I felt like a lot of those people that were at the hostel were just like, Super fun, and uh, that's definitely one of the memorable um, hostel experiences. I remember freezing my ass off, though. Do you remember at night because it was like open air? Yeah, that, that, that was really cool. Morocco really special in that way for for other people listening. These hostels in Morocco, I think even just the houses in Morocco, they're all like you, know, you can imagine like a square where the building is built up, and then the center is like you're saying like open air. It just yeah. looks up to the sky. Yeah, yeah, I do remember that night. I was like, we were all sitting on the little sort of patio bench yeah yeah um, yeah and then i remember it was multiple levels so you could like go to the um, second floor and sort of look down and they had little cool spots in all the corners yeah um we we i don't know if you, i don't remember if you were with us when we went to go get booze i don't know if it was the next night no i, no, I don't think it was it was the next time but we went to go get booze and man it was so weird did you did you buy booze when you're in morocco I feel like I remember us going out to to find some some beers. It's like yeah, a I don't grocery store, and that. then you go and take the side door, and then you go down some steps, and it's like looking a little grungy. And then you like open this door, and you're like, "Oh shit!" It's like looks like a very commercialized, very Western type store with like every single fucking booze that you can imagine. <laughs> oh yeah, I don't remember that. That's uh, that's interesting. So Morocco, and I guess I totally forget. Or, um, you know, like, but it's not, is it alcohol prohibited? It is. Well, it's, it's, um, well, I mean, Morocco, I think, is like kind of Muslim light, you could say, right? They're, mm. they're a lot more lax with certain things. I remember, I forget the ga- the guy's name that worked at the hostel, but I remember him telling me, you can buy alcohol. Usain, Usain there you go. Oh, I actually, fuck, I have, yeah. I have him on Facebook. Uh, yeah. He, I remember him telling me, if, you let's say that you would have alcohol in a in a in a black black like they give the they give you like black bags so you can't really see what's in the bag but if you let's say you drop hmm. that in front of a police officer and it would break bottles and then you'd have like open alcohol you could then be in trouble but hmm. if you have it and you're not causing a disturbance there's no issue okay and Very from what i understand i think too, like, on okay. fridays locals can definitely not buy alcohol they're 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 uh religious day right wow 
Yeah. I, yeah, that's super interesting. I can't, I'm surprised I didn't experience that. Yeah, it's it pretty weird. But anyways, let's move on to top five. Top five. All right, welcome to top five. Mark, for those who don't know, is a bit of a wise man. He's done a lot of travel, and he's you know he's a philo- philosophic philosophical thinker. That's a big that's a tough word for a French speaker. And on today's top five, he will be sharing five things he learned from traveling. So, Mark, can you start us at number five and bring us up to number one? Yeah, something neat was um, once you've traveled for a while, you sort of like have a sort of like bond with other people who've traveled for a while. Yeah, and I noticed this because um, as I was moving around a bunch and other cities in Canada and in California where I'm at now, I'd meet people and we'd click. And then later we'd find out, oh, we both traveled for multiple years. It's, it's, really it's funny how that, that like plays a, out, eh? Yeah. I don't know if it's like this open-mindedness or yeah, it's like aversion to... Uh, it's it's kind of like that... Um, it's almost like that personality that you need to have when you're in a hostel, right? To flourish. Exactly, yeah. Yeah. Can't be closed-minded. You gotta, gotta be open to having conversations. Not, not judgy. Yeah. And it's 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 almost like uh, those types those same type of people have been through those challenges, and it's almost like that their their view of life is like a a, a full three hundred and sixty. You know what I mean? When you you've only you gave an example of living in Barrie. You know, if you're living in Barrie your entire life, and you never leave. You know, you maybe go to Toronto on a go see the Maple Leafs one night, whatever. You know what I mean? Your your view of the world is is very closed off, right? So you kind of. That's maybe why we, we we click with those people, right? Even before knowing that uh, I've actually traveled or anything like that. Yeah, I met a few people that were like, "I'll only date people who've traveled a bunch." And I don't think it's because <laughs> they traveled your a type? bunch. I think it was just <laughs> what's your type? <laughs> yeah, it's 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 only people that travel. <laughs> And and I guess Great how's problem. that working out for them? Yeah, um, I think good. Yeah, I didn't follow up, but uh, I think you get a lot of like stuff for free when you date people who travel, just like you know, open mindedness, fun, yeah, and so on. Like, where's your ideal first date? Oh, the airport. <laughs> <laughs> That's funny. Bring your passport and credit card, and I'll, we'll be back in a few days. Yeah. That's number. That's uh, yeah, one of them. Go on to the next one. Next one is uh, a thing. Generally, it's it's really valuable to be in you know, very immersive experiences. Yeah, I, I found that very. Yeah, enjoyable being very very immersed and being sort of like all in and um, what i mean by that in this case like is uh, for example when I, when I traveled when i went to asia and when i went to africa later multiple long months trips and before each of those i had to quit my job and you know, for one of them i once again broke up with my partner at the time and <laughs> recur- recurring theme fell <laughs> 
the serial breakupper. I don't I don't know if there's a more catchy name, but that that has to be like a I don't know if this is like a documentary like this I I'm I'm I'd I'd watch it. <laughs> uh, yeah. Um yeah, so in my like I had no obligations in my mind. My mind was free. I'm in like my early twenties. Yeah, and I could just like focus on being in the place in the moment and just being immersed. And that's been that's been awesome, isn't it? Yeah. I think I've extended that even now, like working in in uh, tech here in San Francisco, I try to be yeah as much as I can sort of like all in to have like one or two primary focuses and not be spread too thin across a bunch of stuff. Yeah, that's one of those learnings. Sometimes that's that's uh, easier said than done, right? For you, like what what type of things do you do to kind of be in that, be able to be that present? Is it something like turning your phone off, uh, things like that? Yeah, definitely things like that. Yeah, my phone's always on silent. Uh, I don't know how people can do phones on like vibrate or notification. It's just mm. like so distracting. Even my my computer's on like do not disturb, so I don't get notifications coming through. That's one way of in the moment trying to be present. Just emails, texts. We're just so we're just so popular. Everybody wants to contact <laughs> us. <laughs> yes, yes. <laughs> <laughs> All those exes trying to get back at me, you know. I wanted to go to Costa Rica too. <laughs> Have you ever actually uh, traveled with a partner? Yeah, yeah, for shorter periods of time. Yeah, like uh, a couple weeks, that sort of. Thing. I, I just didn't know if you were only traveling post breakup. No, that's not, that's not the rule. I, I think you know, just from my experiences traveling, it just like lets me go into a different environment, rethink things. Yeah. So. Yeah, definitely. definitely. And I, the kind of work I do, I can do remote. So, um, yeah, especially these days, if I needed to go somewhere where I could be away from my usual distractions, yeah, being literally anywhere else is a good opportunity to do that. Yeah, yeah. So that's one. Got three more. Uh, it's a little more practical. So if you're if you're a listener, you're, you're like doing any traveling. I think it's practical even for uh, if you're not traveling, but. Yeah, always get a few quotes before you buy anything. I think that's useful for if you're traveling and if you're not. You know, don't go with the first thing you, you hear. Don't go with the first thing you see. Especially if you're traveling. Usually there's like some sort of like bizarre market. And the first table knows that you're the you're seeing them first. They know that. So they'll, uh, especially in touristy places, they, you might be more likely to pay significantly more than you should. Yeah. No, that's that's a good one. Like, I think even just like the yeah. example of like Marrakesh, like where we were, like that's probably a perfect example, right? How many shoe salesmen are in, in Marrakesh? Right? How many spice salesmen? Like, there's there's a ton. It's, it's I think it's just good business to to just right offer more prices or higher prices for the when you know that tourists are going to be coming this way and you're the first person. Exactly. First you, you don't know any better. Yeah. And it might not even be a price thing. It could also be like options. You might like go a little past and be like, oh, there's other cool things later. Yeah. Yeah, they've gotten older and uh, sort of 
you know, when I was first traveling, I was like right out of school, I had no money, but now I sort of see it like, oh, like I don't mind spending a bit more, even if it's, even if that's not the price, just because again, like pouring money in a local economy. But uh, yeah. Yeah, I, I think I'd rather do that consciously than unconsciously. Like, oh, the price is, you know, $10, I'll pay 15 I don't care. Yeah, versus exactly. like, oh, the price is actually 5 and someone's trying to make me pay 200 Yeah. And I'm Which just happens. Yeah, definitely. Yeah. Oh, the worst? If you're, if you're a traveler and you hear someone selling, trying to sell you something and be like, what do you want to pay? Oh, run. Don't, don't go to that guy. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, I, I guess just uh, you know, don't don't go by the first quote. Do you have any tips for people for uh, bartering? Yeah. My practice, yeah, for both traveling and not traveling, just like sort of general negotiation stuff, and yeah, especially if you're buying a commodity, where it's something like, yeah. Yeah, uh, generally try, try to find out what the actual price is. Like, what is the cost to that person? And then allow for some room for that person to make a profit because they're providing you value by getting that service or product and, and being in a location that's convenient to you and so on and so forth. Try to, if if you're trying to optimize for price paid, find out their cost, basically allow them some market and try to get that price. And the way to do that is by, especially if it's a commodity, if it's like, for example, a very common like trinket or whatever in, in some mm. some city. And lots of different people are gonna be selling that thing. And so you just ask around and you could be like, hey, like, um, this is the thing, how much does it cost? And they'll say, I don't know, $10. Go to the next place and you say, hey, like, will you take five? And if they're still having a conversation with you, then that means the price is below five. And if yeah. they're immediately like, get out of my shop, then you're like, oh, okay, the price is higher than five. And yeah. Yeah, so that, that's a way to do like price discovery. Um, but again, you know, generally, if you're in, if if I'm in sort of like a, a lower income country, yeah, I, I'm not trying to spend an hour saving three dollars these days. When I was like twenty, you know, I had no money. Different story. Yeah, um, one of my good strat or a strategy, I guess, I've used recently. Uh, me and my buddy when we were traveling. Um, so we found out what the word for very expensive was. And I, w I wouldn't say it was bullying, but like, for example, taxis, like we were in a place where there was like zero, not that many foreigners. And so what we would do is say they'd give us the price, for example, a taxi came and like we had gotten cheap, cheaper taxis with locals. And once it came to us, we like, okay, like, dude, that's way more than what we've gotten before and it's a shorter trip like seriously so what we would do is we would rehearse uh saying that is very expensive in spanish so muy caro so i would say it my buddy would say it i would say it we kept saying it until <laughs> until the guy was just like he was just kind of like oh shit like I, yeah and then we just he'd slash the price in half so they'd be like oh that's a that's 50 uh solace be like oh muy caro muy caro muy caro muy caro it'd be like uh 20 <laughs> they'd be like oh, okay then it worked <laughs> yeah taxis are uh yeah i think in every country i've been to almost every country i've been to even my own like canada yeah airport taxis are notorious for ripping people off dude 
I remember even this landing back in Toronto. I like called an Uber and he was like, oh, you know, calling an Uber, things are going to be fine. You know, the price is there. This Uber took me out of the airport into a, a gas station. They canceled the trip. And then they're like, hey, like, actually, for me to get you where you want to go, it's this price. What I was a like, prick. dude, like, yeah, like, I, I know where I am. I, I could. I can figure things out on my own. Like, this is this is not the way to to behave, especially in uh, anywhere, really. But yeah, like, and especially the Toronto airport. I mean, in these times, it's it's we we had an experience of going through there when we were in, uh, just coming back from Colombia. Turned out to also have COVID at that time, not knowing. And uh, land our flight gets canceled as soon as we landed in Toronto, with like three other huge flights so we get our luggage leave the airport to try to get a taxi to then go to our hotel which man finding a hotel when there's a bunch of flights that are canceled is insane it, the only one that i could find w- had a jacuzzi <laughs> it was like 400 bucks wow anyways so get out of the toronto airport get out of pearson and the you know how i guess from like the departure side to the arrival side, like there's like, it's, it's a pretty far distance, right? The line was longer than that for a taxi. So I was like, Holy shit, I guess we should probably get an Uber and Uber in, in that case. Like I didn't have a bad experience like you. It saved, saved our ass because within 20, 15, 20 minutes, there was an Uber there, but man, like plus having COVID plus having traveled all day. You know what I mean? It's just a plus, a plus, a plus, And it just, snowballs into fucking yeah anyways sorry continue yeah no worries yeah and definitely as a traveler like you get off a plane after like a you know six hour flight 10 hour flight you know 14 hours of travel door to door and you're just like oh like i don't want to you know like i'm not in the right headspace to be like uh, my best self Mm. yeah it's definitely yeah i think it's a very predatory practice by by some not all taxis are like that obviously uber's definitely helped a lot yeah but, uh, yeah not a, not a fan of people getting taken advantage of like that it's, uh, that's very different from it's not canadian it's not nice. local definitely not canadian yeah <laughs> yeah i found this to be true it's also like common common advice uh, that you hear in a lot of places but pe- people are really friendly if you're friendly first yeah yeah, it's true for travelers. That's true for locals. And I definitely found that if I would walk down the street and I'd be in a good mood and I'd be smiling at people, that I would smile back. Yeah. And I've had a lot of interesting conversations with people. Yeah. Yeah, I remember I was in a city in the north of India. Yeah. And it was a really interesting looking guy in like some some shop. I was like, I'm going to go talk to that guy. I just want to like, hear his story. He was like, dressed really interestingly. Just went in. Really. Said, hey, started a conversation, learned about him. I think we had like a two-hour chat. And ended up being Facebook friends. Nice. Yeah. That's very different from when I first started traveling, where like I was sort of defensive, closed, a little scared of other people. Like, oh, who's going to you know, take Everybody's advantage of me? Everybody's trying to rob me. Yeah, then in that in those cases, I had a much worse experience. Like people obviously aren't gonna be friendly to the guy who's like, yeah, closed oh. and being protective. Yeah, mm. the same is true here. I think like moving to a new city, 
still the case. Like people are friendly if you're friendly first. Yeah, absolutely. That's a really good one. Yeah. Top one, um, or like you know, the last one here. Yeah, everything is easier after you get started. And uh, yeah, sometimes when you're starting something, whether it's like wanting to go to a new country or travel for a long period of time or something like that, I, I always found that just like just get started. And yeah, like if you want to, for me, it was like, oh, I want to travel across Africa. And instead of like spending months planning, like, oh, where am I going to go? And this, and this sort of thing, like, what about visas? It was just like, what's the first country I can get to? And then I'll figure out the next country after that. And then I'd go there and I'd like, okay, what's next? And what's next? I, I yeah. Mark, you know what? I, I think that that's, that's a really good tip. And I also think that that's a great segue to start into our next segment, which is story time. So let's get into story. You're going to tell us a story about, you know, climbing Mount Kilimanjaro. And like you said in, our, in your last tip, just get started and you'll figure it out. You probably didn't plan on doing Mount Kilimanjaro when you were in Morocco, right? Or before, go, before getting to Africa? That's right. Yeah, it wasn't. Uh, yeah, definitely. There was no concrete plan to do Kilimanjaro at that time. <laughs> so, so I guess we, so we were both at the hostel together in Morocco or in, uh, in Marrakesh. Uh, I went south, and then you. Where did you end up going after that? Did you leave with uh, Jaehoon? Because Jaehoon was a person that was at the hostel with us from Korea, looking to do a journey from was it climb Mount Kilimanjaro and then bike all the way down to South Africa? Was that was that what he was doing? Which is insane. Yeah, he was, uh, yeah. it was like a. I remember it was multi week or multi. I think it was multi month long bike ride from. Yeah. Stella Point in uh, Stella Point, which is a high point in Kilimanjaro, to Cape Town, yeah, which is very impressive. Is uh, yeah, big, big fan of Jay Hunt. Great, great guy. I mean, just the reason why he yeah. wanted to do it is is listen. I've got chills just thinking about it. But um, yeah, his. Uh, I mean, he, I, I, I love the video that he did describing, you know, the situation, you know, that there's, I guess just talking about the situation in South Korea about around suicide, that it's, it's a very, um, I don't know what the the correct word is. It's like that there's a, like, it's, it's not well received or it's like, it's, how would you describe it? It's, um, yeah, to, to start to say it's very prevalent. Uh, I, I think at the time, you know, South Korea had, uh, Either the highest or one of the highest suicide rates yeah, yeah, per capita in the world. Yeah, we can fact check that, but yeah, some, some really high number, some really high rate of, of suicides. And uh, yeah, yeah it's, it's quite sad. So Jayhun was yeah, personally affected someone in his life had, had uh, unfortunately passed due to that. And um, he was, uh, his goal was to spread awareness. So he had this foundation he had started. And uh, he's doing all sorts of publicity-related things to, to spread awareness about this, share some resources. Mm. Yeah, yeah, very, very compelling story, inspiring. And this was a guy who I felt had like great energy. He'd go into a room and he'd bring up the energy. It was insane. And, yeah, 
Very so, inspiring. So I guess uh, we, you, yeah. so you, I remember you and him agreed to go to Kilimanjaro, I think, all, when you were in Morocco, right? Um, I don't think we agreed on it then. Yeah, my memory is a little fuzzy. This is like six, seven years ago, something like that, six years ago. But, uh, so so yeah. I guess but from, I, I from went, Morocco, where did you go? Yeah, so from Morocco, I went to Cape Town. And then uh, I spent two months in South Africa, flew to Madagascar, then I went to Kenya. Yeah. And then from Kenya, I was like, oh, like, I want to go to Kilimanjaro. Yeah. Was, was yeah, that so a bit I, of a daunting thing? You know, it's, it's, it's one of the largest mountains in the world. And I mean, at that point, you probably hadn't like trained for it or were like mentally ready or had the gear. I can just imagine yeah, that must have been a mind fuck. Yeah, certainly. Like uh, I had no gear, I was not in shape. Um, yeah, I'd spend, I was spending a lot of times in like places at like zero altitude. Yeah, so if, if you've done any sort of trekking on in high altitudes, like you went to Machu Picchu, like you know, like yeah, yeah, yeah you've got to acclimatize. The, the biggest risk is like hypoxia or yeah, low oxygen. Yeah, yeah, I didn't, I didn't know anything, but. After having done all these travels, I was just like, well, I just got to get to the base of the mountain and then I'll figure it out. And I I think I saw a Facebook post or some version of something like a Facebook post or maybe I had remembered that Jaehyun was doing it too. So I I reached out to him, if I recall correctly, on Facebook. And I was like, hey, like, I'm going to be doing it too. And he got back to me, we were chatting a bit, and he was like, oh, like, actually, like, I'm doing it with my foundation. And we need someone to take videos. Would you mind being the guy to take videos? And I was like, sure, that sounds great. Yeah. So then I had someone to do it with, and they already had some planning. He was doing it with them. Yeah. He had someone he was working with who was helping organize a bunch of stuff. And he put me in contact with her, and she was helping me a bit. Yeah. Yeah. Another case of like, just sort of figured it out once we got there. So, so I guess, can you tell the people how long, if you're looking to do the Kilimanjaro hike, how many days does it take to go up and down? Sure, yeah. It, uh, uh, it just depends on your fitness and yeah, so on and so forth. Yeah, I think you can do it in a day if you are extremely fit and uh, you have enough money to pay for. Um, yeah, like, it's possible to do it in a day. I think you could just, like, run up. And run down. I think, like, if you look up the world record, it's like you could that those people, those kinds of people, do it in a day. Sure. Uh, how, how long did it take you? Sort of. And, and so I'll, I'll give some background quickly. Uh, so Kilimanjaro, it's like a national park in Tanzania. And you have to get a, a permit, and you also have to hire guides. And, and so that comes with a cost, obviously. And, and there's like scenery and so on. See, and the shortest amount of time, sort of like in the common routes, if you if you look up trips and routes and guides and all that, the the routes are roughly between five and nine days. If you do it in five days, there's a high likelihood that you will not make it, that you will go through, and then you'll have altitude sickness, and they'll have to run you literally to run you down. It's it's nearly six thousand meters. That's that's insane. Yeah, I think it's like fifty hundred meters or something like that. Yeah, yeah. The, the biggest challenge, I, th- I think, is the uh, the altitude. Yeah, I think I, if you do it in seven days, a little more likely you'll you'll it, it's far more likely than five days that you'll be all right. You have time to acclimatize. 
think Jaehoon and I did it in uh, eight or nine days. Like that. We took a longer route, more scenic, yeah, more of a, a guarantee that we'd make it to the top there. Yeah. What was what was like a normal day? Like how many hours were you hiking for? I think it was it was a long time ago again, twenty sixteen, but I think it was something like half a day, maybe like four hours of um trekking. Then we'd stop and, and rest. Some something like that, if I okay. recall correctly. It's, so it probably was good for like off. you were saying, like for the altitude and stuff like that. It's probably very good doing it slower to minimize the risk of getting the altitude sickness. Yeah, you you generally want time to acclimatize. The main difference, there's a bunch of routes. If you like Google Kilimanjaro routes, the mountain is sort of like this, and you can go up, which is sort of straight, or you can go, you can drive sort of to the end over here and then do like a longer route. Um, so this way, for example, it's it's a longer distance, uh, more scenic. Um, so maybe the rates at which you're trekking or climbing is the same, but um, yeah, the rate of ascent is uh, lower because okay. maybe like, does that make sense? Yeah, yeah. Like you're 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 going up, but just not as steep on a. It's it's not as you're not you're not climbing up a a, a rock basically. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah. Like a, yeah. Like a, and like it, a yeah, for a viewer, exactly. For a viewer thinking about doing this, I think that's what you want to look at. It's like, yeah, how much money do you have? How much time do you have? Um, how much you know, sort of guarantee of success do you want to make it to the top? Yeah. And keep in mind again, like hardest thing, altitude. Oxygen. I think you just get meds for that. It's like pharmaceutical drugs. You can get to like reduce exactly. the risk of uh, altitude sickness. But you, you obviously didn't have that, right? No, I, I didn't do that. Um, foolishly, <laughs> <laughs> shut up. Like a tough guy. But Mark, so for you, I guess on a scale of one to ten, um, for you, how was how hard was it to climb Mount Kilimanjaro? It, it was definitely hard for me. It was. Uh, it was also really fun to go with Jehoon who is uh he had been prepping for a long period of time to do this he's cycling cycling from Tanzania South Africa that's like it's a long trip he was like training all the time he was generally a very fit person and I was just like this like backpacker who <laughs> hadn't gone to the gym in years and just sort of like skinny and weak so it was really fun to see that dichotomy of like really fit dude and me <laughs> Do you like yeah. carry you in so some from, parts? <laughs> at one point, I got altitude sickness, and I was like, "Oh fuck! Like I'm, I'm gonna die!" Like I, I have a video of me just sitting there like this, like, uh, like actually, like it's at night, and Jaehyun's talking to me. He's like, "Dude, like how you doing?" And I'm like, "Uh," I remember my head just like pounding, and, and uh, I was like, "Oh, I gotta wear sunglasses." This is dead of night. It's like just like tiny bits of light were like too too much for me. They were like, oh man, you don't you don't look too good. And so he went to a bunch of other tents and found some of those pills for me. Yeah. One of our guides like put an oxygen monitor on my finger. So I was not doing well. He was doing well. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, he's a machine man. Like that guy was uh he yeah. What an inspiration. Absolutely. Yeah. So any was there any uh and any, I guess, highlights from that trip that you're like, holy shit, I can't believe that happened, or? Yeah, I think, uh, yeah, just going with Jaehoon is very special. Yeah. Yeah, like, we, we had a, we'd hired a bunch of guides, as, as you had to do at the time. Yeah, you probably still have to do. Mm. Yeah. 
And uh, like he would bring their energy up. You can imagine these people who like work as guides, they just do this all the time. Some of them is probably boring. But he'd be chatting with them, like bring their energy up, like, singing and dancing. Yeah. There's a, a video of us doing, you know, like the song and dance underneath the peak of Kilimanjaro. Yeah. What a legend. Yeah. The whole, yeah. Yeah. That, that was the memorable bit. But I think like, it's like he made that trip special. Nice. And so I guess, you know, getting your feet wet with Kilimanjaro, did that prepare you for uh, then Mount Everest? Or going up to Mount Everest base camp? Yeah, I think, uh, yeah, a quick, a quick uh, sort of sidebar. Yeah, I think there's a, there's a misconception for, like, climbing Kilimanjaro. It's not exactly a climb. Like, you don't get, like, climb equipped. You do need, uh, like, warm gear, but it is more of a trek. And then uh, the final ascent is a little sort of steep and cold and low oxygen. But you don't need any special equipment. Yeah. Okay. This is different from like, you know, if you're like climbing K2 or Annapurna, you know, you need like uh, you know, a lot of special gear and training. So doing a Kilimanjaro trek is very much just like a long walk in low oxygen. You know, Everest Base Camp, sort of the same. Long walk, low oxygen. Yeah. You watch like 14 Peaks. On Netflix. I haven't, but I've heard that it's a sick show. Oh, it's such a good documentary. Yeah. About this guy who like climbed the fourteen for other people who've climbed uh yeah. He climbed the fourteen highest peaks in the world in seven months. Yeah. That guy's like actually climbing. Was it Jay Hoon? <laughs> Might have been. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that uh I came down from that climb and uh, i remember i emailed my brother at the time I was uh, like, which, which hey, climb like, uh sort of, sort of the kilimanjaro one yeah felt more of a trek but um, i climbed just it's just it's a mountain better. i guess you're climbing. you're going up going up oh, summited a mountain that's the that's the word i use summited a mountain yeah and my brother i was like here are the like here are the next 12 things i want to do and it was like go to the amazon and go to everest base camp and and go on the Trans-Siberian Railway. All these sort of like audacious things. Yeah. I definitely felt, to your point, like much more prepared to do, yeah, to experience an Everest Base Camp trek after that. That was basically the next thing I did. And so when did you do that, uh, tra- that hike? <laughs> yeah, I think it's something like two months later. It was... Uh, Oh shit! So it was. After yeah. I finished the tans- so you you did quite a bit more then, because I know I think your if I remember correctly, your ultimate goal was to end up in Egypt, right? Do you yeah, have heritage yeah, from exactly Egypt, right. if I remember correctly? Yeah, I was born in Egypt. Yeah, yeah. Nice. moved to Canada when I was about a year old. Yeah, yeah. Like, Tanzania finished the the Kilimanjaro climb, and a bit more time in in East Africa. Then a friend of mine called, and he's like, "Hey, like." I'm getting married in India in like a week. And I was like, oh, yeah, he's, a, he's a Canadian buddy of mine. And I was like, oh, like, I'll be there. And so a few days later, I hopped on a plane to India, went to his wedding, really, really phenomenal wedding. And, and then I went north to the Himalayas in India to start. And, and then booked a flight to Kathmandu in Nepal. And, 
that's when I started uh, figuring out the Everspace Camp Trek stuff. Nice. So when you get to Kathmandu, I guess, is it something that's, it's a very common thing for people to go to Everspace Camp? Yeah, there's uh, a bunch of, uh, yeah, I think maybe like four or, probably like four of the 14 highest peaks are, are in, uh, maybe one, maybe six of the highest peaks are in yeah, the Himalayas. Yeah, and the Himalayas are spread across India and Nepal, and yeah, maybe also parts of China. I think so. Yeah, the, yeah, the west part of China. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah so you go and like common touristy things are like, oh, like do an Annapurna circuit trek or like a K two trek or like an Everest base camp trek. And I had, I had, I knew nothing. Like I just like I was like, oh, this is this is the direction I want to go in. I want to like do Everest base camp. And I got there, I found, I learned of like this website where you can go on and find people to do it with. And I signed up, guy Nicholas emailed me. He said, um, yeah, like, hey, I sent you a WhatsApp message, cheers. And I look at my WhatsApp and it's like, oh yeah, I'm going on this date and this date. I was like, oh, yes, let's, let's do this together. Yeah, that was uh, how it began. And so in, in terms of difficulty though, where where do you rank both? Yeah, it's, it's, I would say again, maybe it depends. Yeah, Kilimanjaro is a bit straightforward. You have like guides; they help you, they guide you. And the Everest Base Camp one, we did not hire guides. There were a couple times when we almost died because we just what? got lost, and it was like almost dark. Yeah. Oh shit! Yeah, it was one time like a boulder almost crushed me. It was like it <laughs> went over my head. Yeah. What? Yeah, that's uh, yeah, things that one could avoid if they had a guide. We <laughs> so get a fucking guide. If you don't want to die. <laughs> if you want to reduce the risk of death, that's probably a good idea. But if you want to have a better experience, I, I think like Nicholas and I and like some other people we met, we like we definitely bonded a lot more because we went through this like shared adversity of you know, trying to get to the cyberspace camp. Yeah, so so I guess you then you, you know you get to the top of uh, to to base camp. What's base camp like? Oh, it's um, actually the cool part is this um, little place called Kalapatar, and it's where you get a really epic view of base camp as well as um, uh, I think it's a mountain called Amadablam, which is like it's very like pointy peak. Everest is actually not super pointy, so if I recall correctly. Yeah, that's magical. That's uh, especially yeah, sort of like this reward at the end of a very long journey. Mm. And you're you're just sitting back, and me I'm with Nicholas, and we're like, "Wow, we made it!" And other people are they're coming up too. Yeah. For context, we went at the tail end of monsoon season. So this is like monsoon season has just about to end. Yeah. So it's very empty. Yeah. I think. When it's not monsoon season, they can probably get quite sort of busy. But in our case, we would go like several days without seeing people. Shit. And when we got to like Kalapatara's viewpoint, there wasn't a lot of people there. It was like me and Nicholas. And after an hour or two, like some other people were there. And you're just like looking at the tallest mountain in the world. It's just breathtaking. It was so special. How many days does it take to go from Kathmandu up to base camp? Or how long is the trek? Yeah. So uh, there's a couple of journeys. The, the common one that most people take 
is they fly from Kathmandu to Lukla Airport, which is the airport with uh, one of the shortest runways in the world. So they get into Lukla Airport, and then they acclimatize. Uh, they, they go from Lukla to a place called Nemchi Bazaar, which is sort of like the first sort of like little, I don't know if you'd call it a town. It's sort of like this tiny, tiny little place where some people live, and there are some hotels. And they acclimatize there, and then they go to base camp, and then they might come back. They go to Lukla Airport and fly out. And I think the record, I don't know what the record is, but we had we'd heard of people who like just did it in a day. Again, these are like people that are not um, human. They're not here. They're like they're um, they spend time at high altitudes. They're very fit, and they uh, to avoid they just run and run back like that sort of that sort of thing. Yeah. And it could be wrong about the time, but it's on the order of like something ridiculous of like, oh, they didn't stop at all. Yeah. Yeah. So you could do that, but the, the usual, I don't know what the usual thing is actually, because we, uh, Nick and I, we had lots of time. We just sort of figured it out on our own. Yeah. We did it. So we didn't fly in. So we we went from Kathmandu. We took a, a local bus as far east as you can before the roads end. There's a little local village there. Yeah. No real hotel, nothing like that. It's really just like yeah, local people. I think that's the that one is used for a lot of the porters, the people who like carry supplies up and down the mountain. Yeah, they don't do that by car, obviously. They they like literally carry these giant. Um, uh, I don't know. It's not really a backpack. It's really just like a pack. These giant like two hundred kilo type packs on their back, something like that. Can you imagine how fucking yeah. strong their legs are. Oh, dude, it's wild. They just like, you know how much you have to eat? They just like eat a ton. Yeah. Fuck. Yeah. yeah. So we, we started there and then we went from there to um, over a couple of days to basically Damchi Bazaar. Yeah. It's actually Damchi Bazaar. Then to Everest Base Camp. Then we went down and crossed this mountain pass called Chola Pass. And went to a place called Gokuri and then back down to Lukla Airport, where we flew back to Kimandu. That whole thing was something like, um, something like 20, 21 days. 21 days? Holy shit. Yeah. So I... Yeah, we don't need to do all that. No, no, okay. No, no, I, yeah, I know, but yeah, yeah. That's, that's still crazy. Do, so, you know, you finish your trek, you get to the base camp. What is that feeling like? What are you seeing? What, do you, what, is, what does Everest base camp look like? Um... To be honest, I didn't actually go to Everest Base Camp. It cheated a little bit. So there's um, so you get to one point. It's called uh, Gorak Shep. That's sort of like the last sort of uh, like place where you can stay. Yeah, and then you can go to Kalapatar, where there's a really nice view, or you can go to Base Camp, which is just like there's nothing there. So it's just like you might see up? some yeah and I, I don't think anyone there's no one there at the time so like there's nothing really it's just like you might see some uh yeah i remember because nicholas went there one day and came back and he was like yeah like it was sort of hard to tell where to go and yeah there's a bunch of crevices and yeah, you get there and there's really nothing like it was just like old stuff from a previous camp mm. and yeah we just we just came back you know the actual view from my understanding is the one from um, Kalapatar. Yeah, so it's sort of like you go 
a little bit north to Kalapatar from um, Gorakshap, or you can go like around to do ever spacing out. But either way, there's like there's nothing really to do there. Or see, it's just the whole thing is views the whole time. You're sort of seeing Everest, Ramadablam, wow. Everest super high mountain. Did you encounter yeah. anybody that was climbing Mount Everest? No, no. There's a very limited window of time when you can do that. And I, I don't think the tail end of that, that was definitely not the time when people would have been climbing Everest. And yeah, my, my understanding is that there's like, yeah, there's a, there's a very narrow window of time. And a lot of the serious climbers, they take a helicopter out to you know, where they have to start. Oh, shit. And then they go. Yeah. Yeah. Probably avoid all the, the 20 or the 10 days or whatever it takes to get up there. <laughs> yeah, it's just like wasted energy. <laughs> yeah, man, that's pretty nuts. Like, it's it's definitely a place that I, I mean, I've never really, I, I, I guess before going to Peru, I'd never really done any mountain trekking, stuff like that. Just kind of getting my feet wet in it initial. Like we we did like Humante Lake, we did Machu Picchu, we did uh, the beginning of the Salcante Trek. You know, going up to I think the highest point we went up to was four thousand, maybe eight hundred meters. So mm-hmm. so it, like it's still people experiencing uh, altitude sickness, but it's definitely intriguing, and I think you've. Definitely demystified Kilimanjaro and Base Camp uh, Everest Base Camp for me because I think what I kind of think of those places when I think of those places I think of holy shit it's like one of the craziest things you know what I mean you have to climb and fucking like tie me off and go up a rope and you know what I mean that's what you expect because you just hear of oh it's one of the biggest mountains in the world therefore it's going to be super intense. Super glad you came on because now I feel like I can go to Tanzania, not having worked out a day in my life, and make it a base camp. And you know what? If I don't want to go down, I might just say, "Listen, guys, I I have altitude sickness. Bring me down like a diva, <laughs> like a diva." <laughs> <laughs> and Everest Base Camp, you gave great advice. I think you know, one hundred percent get a tour guide unless you want to potentially die. And then come on a podcast and talk about a time where you almost got hit by a massive boulder in the face. <laughs> That's the way to do it. Yeah. <laughs> Thank you so much for coming on. This was great to catch up with you. Uh, it, it just seems like, uh, you know, uh, Leo, Nico, and I, the, the, all the other boys that were with you and Jehoon at uh, the Morocco uh, hostel, it was we kind of just saw through Facebook what kind of happened. So we didn't really get to fill the, the, the gaps of what, what happened with you two. So it's, it's really good for you to have come on and to, uh, to have told us about that. It's, it's really awesome. So thanks a lot for coming on. Absolutely. Yeah. Great catching up with you, Phil. All right, buddy. Cheers. We'll talk to you later. Thank you for listening to two beers till takeoff. Do you want free additional content or just to stay connected with the show? Then give us a follow on our social media platform. That means TikTok, Instagram, Facebook, all of them. Are you in need of podcast production services, video editing, or anything in between? Then look no further than Strut Sound Productions, the official producer of the two beers till takeoff podcast. Music produced by Alex Gagne. Check out his work in our show notes. Voiceover done by Viking Leo K. See you next week on two beers till takeoff. Thank you.